We are people of the possible God. Do you believe that today? I believe that with all my heart. And my hope is, like I said last week, it becomes more than belief. It becomes action in our lives. And we're visiting some familiar passages in Scripture. And some of these passages you might have read 10, 15, 20, and 30 times through this series as you, we go visit them. But my hope is this, that we just don't go back and hear it again. That's a great message. But we apply the truths of God's word to our lives. And we live out in faith. I know this in regards to God. Time spent with our faithful God will produce bold faith. Time spent with our faithful God will produce bold faith. You want to have bold faith in order to reach the nations with the gospel. The way we do that is by spending time with God. It's not, we don't develop our faith by just keep trying and trying and trying. I'm going to, I'm going to work out my faith today and just keep trying and trying and trying. No, spend more time with God. The more time you spend with Jesus, the more time you spend with the three in one, the more you become like him, and the more time you spend with him, the more courageous you are in your walk. Proverbs 28.1, Solomon said this a long time ago. He said, the righteous are as bold as a lion. You show me a bold Christian in their faith. You show me someone who is willing to take leaps of faith, and I will give you the reason why. They spend time with Jesus. Your faith has to grow when you spend time with Jesus because he rubs off on you. And so time spent with our faithful God will produce bold faith. Many years ago, there was a, a, a bunch of mess or, um, movies that came out with Indiana Jones, and I enjoyed these movies. In the last crusade, Indiana Jones finds himself having to take a step of faith in order to get to what we would say in the movie, The Holy Grail. And it's this picture of him standing at this gorge Realizing the only way to the other side is if he steps out in faith and trusts that somehow what's been passed on to him that he'll make it will happen. We face those kind of encounters in our walk with God all the time. And until we step out in faith, we will not see what God can do for us. Let me show you what I mean. Take a look at this clip.
It's a beautiful picture of what it is to walk with Jesus. And there are times when you're uncertain, and we've been talking about this, there are times in order to cross that gorge of faith, we must put our belief into action. We must take the step in order to see God provide and do the impossible. There's a group of Christ followers, the disciples that walk with Jesus, found themselves in a similar situation. One decided to take a step of faith. And he experienced what the 11 others didn't. Grab your Bibles and turn to Matthew, Matthew chapter 14, Matthew chapter 14. And let's take a look at how time spent with our faithful God can produce bold faith. And we're going to read verses 22 to 28 of Matthew chapter 14, first book of the New Testament. Would you stand with me here and stand in your homes as those are tuning in online? Matthew chapter 14. Let's read verses 22 to 28. Would you read with me? Ready, read. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up to a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake, When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. You may have a seat. Faith leads us and you and me to rough waters, not calm ones. There can be this misnomer that that the center of God's will is a safe place to live. It's completely opposite of that. Yes, we're protected by God, but the center of God's will is a dangerous place to live. It's where we take these steps where we rely on him and he comes through and does the impossible for us. The text says that they were buffeted by the waves because the wind was against him. Now keep in mind that just prior to this, The first chapter 14, verse 22, it says immediately after. What took place just prior to that? Well, look at your Bibles and look what just had just taken place prior to this in verse 18, where Jesus says, bring them here to me, said, and he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking five loaves and two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up the 12 baskets of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. They had just encountered an impossible miracle done by Jesus, had just encountered it. They had just like turned their backs and said, did you see what Jesus did? It was fresh on their minds because it says immediately Jesus said to them, he sent them out on the water. So as close as we can see from scripture, this was fresh on their minds. They had just witnessed Jesus do a miracle. And so he sends them out onto the stormy water. Just a point of information that's very important, I believe really helps us understand this text better. 
The other occurrence of Jesus walking on water is found in Mark chapter 6. And when you go to Mark chapter 6, hold your finger here at Matthew 14, but turn to Mark chapter 6. I believe this is significant, and I'm going to tell you why I believe so. Mark chapter 6, the other encounter, if you turn to verse 45 in your Bible, if you have a a heading above, it says Jesus walks on water. In Mark chapter 6, this is immediately Jesus made disciples get in the boat. But if you were to walk down through that, as I have already, and you quickly can take your eyes through, there's not one mention of Peter walking on water. Why? Why did Matthew write about Peter walking on water? Same encounter, same Jesus walking on the water, but why doesn't Mark record that Jesus walked on water? I believe I know why to that, and here's why I believe that to be true. Mark and Peter were contemporaries. Mark and Peter often traveled together. And scholars and commentators would attest to this. They would say that the, that the book of Mark is a, a collection and writings of Peter's messages that he preached. And many of the messages that were recorded in Mark are Peter of stories that happened to Peter. So Peter had some influence on the writings, obviously the Holy Spirit directed, but Peter had some influence on Mark's writings. And when he had him write this, I'm convinced that Peter said, don't write about me. I don't want the emphasis and focus on me. I want it on Jesus. And so as that's recorded, the importance of this text isn't as much Peter walking on water. It's the focus on attention on Jesus allowing him or helping him to walk on water. It's an interesting context when you put it together. It helped me pull away and say, as much as Peter was very impetuous, as much as Peter was always in, there was this side of him that wanted his own people to know and even us to know today that Jesus is the hero of every story. I love this about Peter. Two other things come to mind in this, this, this story here till, I, till we dig in a little deeper. It is quite a storm, and it seems like it could be very dangerous. Jesus made them get into the boat in the first place. That's very interesting to me. He knew there would be a storm because he controls the weather, and he purposely wanted the 12 disciples to experience a trial or difficulty. He wanted them to have a rough night on the water. He wanted them to experience something that was over their heads. He wanted them to be on the front lines of trouble, not only to be in it, but to trust Jesus through it. The other question that I have is this. Why was Jesus out walking on water? Like, have you ever wondered that? You might say he was just going out to help his disciples. Well, how do you know that? Mark chapter 6 and verse 48. Keep your finger here in Matthew and look at Mark chapter 6 and verse 48. In Mark 6, 48, same account, it says this. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by. It's a phrase that appears in scripture. It's those defining moments where God appears on the scenes, even in the Old Testament. 
just go back into your lineage of Bible knowledge, maybe you've experienced or read. When Moses was in the cleft of the rock, it says God passed him by. When Elijah stood on the mountain wanting to know how he was going to overcome this enemy, these, these soldiers and chariots, it says the Lord passed by. God wanted to get their attention. So these disciples are in a boat and Jesus is going to pass by them. Wouldn't that get your attention? It would get your attention if your eyes were focused on Jesus instead of the storm. I wonder how many times in our precarious situations, in our uncertainty, in our unknown future, as we're walking, we would say, the, the, the walk of Jesus, I wonder how many times God is passing by, yet our focus is on, well, if I do this and this happens, I'm in trouble, I don't know if I can make it, I'm going to quit. And all the while, Jesus is passing by, and he's walking us out and saying, I got this, I got you covered. I believe Jesus was passing by to remind the disciples of this. Read on with me and as we look at, look at verse 25. It says, shortly in, in Matthew 14, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. In verse 26, it says, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were what? What's your Bible say? Terrified. It's a what? Ghost, they said. And they cried out in what? What's your Bible say? Fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Early in the morning, probably 3, 4 a.m. in the morning, 12 men saw him. 11 were afraid. And one man out of the 12 decided, that he would become part of the original water walkers. What was the difference between Peter and the rest of the gang in the boat? He saw the Lord passing by. He recognized that this was a chance of a lifetime. He was going to take advantage of this impossible opportunity. You know, God still asks us to do some impossible things too, humanly speaking. But if you're not looking for him, he just might pass you by and you could miss out on the chance of a lifetime to see God do the impossible and take that step of faith. The same God that was here in this moment for the 12 disciples is the same God that you and I serve today. You know, God still wants to do impossible things. The fear will never go away in taking that step. Hear me out. It's not as if, you've heard me say this over these messages, fear is always part of our walks with God. Fear will never go away because every time I personally want to grow, I enter new territory. Fear and growth operate hand in hand. I'm fearful, but I'm not gonna let this keep me in the boat. I'm fearful, 
but I'm going to trust in God that he'll do the impossible to walk me through this fear that I'm feeling. Every time someone gets out of the boat, their God gets a little bigger. Your God and my God is as big as your steps of faith. I love it. I am inspired by people who take big steps of faith. I love sitting with someone who said, you know, there was this moment in our marriage, there was this moment as a single, there was this moment in my life where I felt like God was calling me out to the deep. He was calling me out to the deep end of the water. And even though I couldn't see how it all would work out, and even though I was losing sleep at night, and you heard me say last week, we wrestle over these things, and we're, we're wanting this, this conclusion to take place in our beds, and sometimes it doesn't happen until we step. I love hearing those stories and being around people because they are growing in the Lord, and their God is so big. And when the next storm comes, they remember that their God came through and they are able to take the next step because they have spent time with their Savior. Do you know, by the way, the number one selling chair in the world? Anyone know? Number one selling chair in the whole world. It's called the lazy boy. Now think about this for a second. The lazy boy is the number one selling chair. It's not called risky boy or worky boy. It's called lazy boy. We have developed even a language that goes along with this. We say things like this. I'm going to go home and I'm going to veg out. What do you mean by that? I'm going to go home and I'm going to be lazy boy. I'm going to go home and I'm going to spend time being a couch potato. We have a whole language that kind of that just, when we think of that, the thought just conjures up. Lazy boy, couch potatoes, Dorito potato chips, and pop. There's the picture. There it is. I'm just going to veg out. These 11 men that were left in the boats were not couch potatoes. They were boat potatoes. And they had learned in that moment, because of their fear, they let their fear get the best of them. It says they were straining against the current. They were literally trying to make it. Twelve men were in the boat. Eleven saw the storm and a ghost. One had his eyes on Jesus and he was willing to move from the boat to the water. Why? Because his focus was on Jesus and not on the storm. You know, this is a safe place to live. I like getting in our kayaks. I enjoy, in fact, this is adjusted to my feet. I am comfortable here. And I enjoy stroking this and taking this down creeks or taking it to the lake. I know my way around. I know what's dangerous and not dangerous. And, and I even put on a life jacket when I wear it. I feel safe here and I can catch rays. And you know what? I will not fear anything in here. But the moment I step outside the boat, I have entered a territory that, that I must trust in Jesus. Jesus said to them in verse 27, 
It is I. Don't be afraid. Take courage. By the way, sometimes we need to unpeel. Not always, but this is a time to do it. Sometimes we need to look back and look at the original language. We see it is I in English. If I were to unpeel it is I in English, it's the Greek phrase ego eimi. Now, if you've ever studied Greek, it's important that you get this phrase down because this phrase, ego eimi, is, comes from Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14 where God said, I am, I am. And so in the New Testament, that Hebrew phrase goes to Jesus on the water. He's looking at these, these men who had read the Torah, these men who had read the Old Testament, these men that had followed him. And in the midst of the storm, Jesus cries out, Ego, me, I am. And why? He wanted them to know that he was linked to God. And the same God that came through in the Old Testament is the same God that's standing on the water. Don't be afraid, take courage. The great I am is on the water. And by the way, the great I am is still on the water for you. The same God that spoke in Exodus 3.14 that speaks here in Matthew chapter 14 speaks to you and I today. They were familiar with this, and it was Jesus' way of saying, don't you dare forget who I am. I am the great I am. Look at the response of Peter after he hears, I am. Look what he says. Look at Peter's response. Verse 28, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, Tell me to come to you on the water. You see, the boat is safe, it's comfortable, and we don't have to risk anything there. He must have been a far distance off, or the water must have been capsizing over the side of the boat because he, could, he couldn't visibly see. In fact, they thought it was a ghost. And so he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out on this water. Why didn't the rest? of the disciples take that step. Same information. They had just saw, seen the 5,000 fed. They were Jesus' contemporaries. They didn't have any new information. Peter didn't have anything. Same boat, same water, same I am. Because one decided to take a risk and trust in the great I am. See, here's the deal. You and me, you and I are reading the same Bible today. You're hearing the same story. We could all face the same encounter. How is it that only one or two take that step? Why is it that the rest aren't willing to? Can I go back to my initial point? If you want to walk on water, spend time with the Savior. And the more time you spend with the Savior, your faith will explode off the scene. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to the water. You know it takes courage to get out of the boat. The boat is safe. It's comfortable. And we don't risk anything sitting there. In fact, it's just easy to quit. Isn't it easy to quit? It's easy to quit sports teams. It's easy to quit 
jobs. It's easy to quit marriages. It's easy to quit dreams when it gets hard. It's just, it's just easy to quit. We have goals. I'm going to go run this 10K, and then it just gets too hard. Just quit. Quitting is easy. And it's always easier than enduring the struggle. I mean, think about it. It's easier to stop and eat a donut than it is to, read a, to run a 5K, isn't it? Like, that's easy. When life does not work out as you wish, quitting is always easier. Quitting looks very, very, very appealing because it brings sweet relief. If I stay in here and I don't choose to go there, this is easy. Oh, man, look at the sunshine. Give me some suntan lotion. Oh, this is great. Quitting is easy. And men and women do it on their marriage because it brings relief. Men and women do it in the job place because it brings relief. I get rid of the stress. And as if somehow, if I quit now, I'm not going to quit later. But as you take these steps of faith, and you spend time with Jesus, and he has come through here and here and here, the next time he calls you to the deep, you know what you do? Why? Because you've learned to trust your faithful God. There is no certainty if you do get out of the boat that you'll be able to walk on the water either. But God promises to never leave us hanging. There is no trajectory like taking a step of faith. God literally, here's the picture. God has all these gifts waiting for you and I to experience out on the water. It's as if he says, I have this gift of faith, this experience of a lifetime, this moment with me to grow this, this encounter that can only happen if you're willing to step out. This unopened gift is yours unless you come and open it. And I believe with all of my heart that there are all these unopened gifts that have been given to us by God as he has been passing us by that we refuse to go and open because of fear. The chance of a lifetime to walk on water is not something to take lightly. Garrison Keller, a storyteller in, in my lifetime, who was on radio regularly telling stories, tells this story about the tragedy of the unopened gift. Just listen to this story that he told. True story, by the way. Garrison Keller tells a story called A Day in the Life of Clarence Brunson about an older man who realizes the years have slipped away and his life has missed something. Clarence goes to see Father Emil at Our Lady of Perpetual Responsibility for some advice. Normally, Clarence goes to the Lutheran Church, but he wants a second opinion. When that doesn't help, he walks past his old school and climbs the hill overlooking Lake Wobegon, where he and his friends played as kids years before. 
while reflecting on his life, Clarence hears some kids coming up the path. For some strange reason, reason, he runs ahead of them, climbs an old tree he remembers from his childhood. The kids stop under the tree below. They know he's around somewhere, but don't think to look up and see Clarence up in the trees. Clarence knew that if he dropped down on them or even yelled, hey, they would jump out of their shoes. So he watches them, so full of excitement and life. And he thinks to himself, Keller says, I wish I could be like that. I just seem to go through life with my eyes closed and my ears shut. People talk to me and I don't even hear them. Whole days go by and I can't remember what happened. The woman I lived with for 36 years and married to, if you ask me to describe her, I have to stop and think about it. It's like I lived half my life waiting for my life to begin, thinking it's somewhere off in the future. And now I'm thinking about death all the time. It's time to live, to wake up and do something. And he jumped out of the tree and yelled, hey! Oh, those boys exploded out of there, Keller says, like birds. And they yelled, ha! And then he said back to them, ouch, ouch! They came back to where he was sitting and asked, you all right, Uncle Clarence? He replied, yes, but go down and tell Mrs. Bunsen to bring the car up the gravel road. I'll meet her by the mailbox. He crawled 100 yards over to the road. She picked him up and didn't ask what happened. And the author says, this is the tragedy of the unopened gift. It's as if I live half my life waiting for life to begin, thinking it's somewhere off in the future. I wonder if we're really honest how many of us have drifted to the boat? How many of us haven't left the boat? How many of us have let COVID put us in the boat? And we say, one of these days, when it's safe, I'll trust in God. I'll take a step of faith. I'm waiting till it's safe to go and do it. And all the while, Jesus keeps passing by us while we're in the boat, inviting us out to the deep faith for an encounter with the loving God where we sit and trust in his power and grace. You see, if you want to see your faith grow, spend time with the Savior. I am telling you, I can tell you, people who spend time with Jesus look like Jesus. People who spend time in the Word of God look like the Jesus in the Word of God. They don't spend their lives sitting in the boat. So what was Jesus' response to Peter? Well, chapter 14 Verse 28, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, he replied, tell me to come to you out on the water. Jesus says one word. What's he say? Come. 
And then Peter got out of the boat, walked on water, and came towards Jesus. We could read that because you're familiar with this account. Think about this. He got out of the water, or the boat, and he walked on water. He walked on water. No one had ever done that as a human being up to this moment. Had never experienced it. And you and I can read that. Yeah, no, he walked on water. Praise God, hallelujah. He sang, he carried him back to the boat, and praise God, hallelujah. Hey, pass the, pass the, pass the fish, come on. He walked on water. He did the impossible. Why? Because he trusted in his Savior who was passing him by. Imagine for a second what that must have been gone through Peter's mind as he realized that he was walking on water. Like it wasn't as if he practiced. He didn't go to water walking 101. I mean, for the first time, can you imagine he's walking? Dude, can you imagine the disciples? They're all sitting in the boat. Have you ever watched someone else do something and then think, I should have I done it. I have the same God. I have everything it takes. And here I sit in the boat. How many of you just keep sitting and sitting and sitting and Jesus is passing by and inviting you out to the deep? He taught him to come. Before you know it, he... Pete was all over IG. There was pictures of him. That's Instagram for those you don't know. He became the first poster child for water walking. He did commercials for the Super Bowl. He wrote a book and made millions because he said yes. If you want to know if you're in a comfort zone and still sitting in the boat, ask yourself this question. What am I doing that could not be done apart from the power of God right now in my life? Seriously, what are you or I doing that could not be done apart from the power of God? The answer to that question will be determined by whether or not you get out of the boat. Before we give Peter a hard time, always remember the other 11 men were spectators. And before you can sink, you got to be on the water. They failed quietly. They failed privately. Their failure went unobserved, uncriticized. But Peter knew what it felt like to walk on water, and I am sure he took it to the grave. Have you ever trusted God for something, and he came through, and when there's a testimony time going on, inside you're just, because you remember. It's this deep, rich satisfaction that comes from spending time with Jesus and then trusting him and watching him provide. It's this deep satisfaction that wells up in your heart when the next storm comes. It's this deep reminder that if he has done it before, he can do it again for me. And the next time you face what appears like can't happen, you just go right go again. I'm telling you, there's nothing like trusting in the possible God. Imagine 
if you will, going to heaven and entering the room that has a whole bunch of videos in it of Christians' lives. And in this room, there's a video marked Jim Brown. (laughs) And you say, God, can I take a look at that? And he pulls it off the shelf and he plays this video of your life. And in big, bold, black letters on this video, it says, all that God might have done with your life if you had taken that step of faith. (laughs) All those unopen gifts, as God passes by in your life, he said, here I'm again, get out of the boat. (laughs) You see, we doubt Jesus, we trust our skills, our intellect, our money, our position, our connections, more than we do the Son of God who holds the world together. What area in your life right now are you shrinking back from fully and courageously trusting God? You know, this story is not about Peter's faith. It's about Jesus' faithfulness. (laughs) Jesus is the hero of every story. You know what? Peter was not in charge of water walking here. Jesus was. While he kept his focus and attention on Jesus, he was doing it. But as soon as he listened to the whispers of fear and acted on fear and not faith, he looked at the wind and he sank. In fact, look at verse 30. It says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. He had fear before. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, Save me. Verse 31 says, immediately, just like verse 22 does, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Like they already knew that. They saw him feed the 5,000. When they had crossed over, they landed, and when the men of that place recognized Jesus. They sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak and all who touched him and touched it were healed. It was easy for Peter while he was focused on Jesus But sometimes we step out in faith and it doesn't go like we had planned. And it zags instead of zigs. And and this happens instead of that happening. And if we're not careful, if we keep our eyes focused on all these disappointments that appear as disappointments to us, we begin to sink. But the reason we sink and the reason Peter was sinking is because he took his eyes off of Jesus. Hear me out. It'll be hard to step out in faith, but I will attest to it. When you do, he does provide. You see, we need people with more than starting faith. We need people with staying faith. And that's why Jesus said to Peter, Oh, ye of little faith. Because he had great starting faith, but he took his eyes off of Jesus and he didn't have staying faith. 
I think there were 11 bigger failures than Peter still sitting in the boat. They failed quietly. But Peter was willing to take that risk and lift the name of Jesus up. The worst failure is not to sink in the waves. The worst failure is not to get out of the boat and quit or not try. Can I ask you a couple questions? And I just want you to let the Spirit of God answer those. Do you want to be known as a boat potato? Or do you want to dream big and accomplish big things for God? Do you want to be out on the water where you get the touch and the feel of the master's hand and where you experience the power of God displayed in your life so that the whole world, even 2,000 years later, on a Sunday morning at Grace Community Church, said God is good on his word. The water is where Jesus is. (laughs) I want to spend time where Jesus is. Jesus reached out his hand, verse 31 says. What a moment that must have been. Not only did he reach out, but he reached out. It was an act of grace. It was a tender touch from from the God of the universe and saying, good job, Pete, good job. He reached down, the text says, and grabbed his hand. We're not uncertain. There's not enough information. Did he hold him and they went arm in arm back? as they climbed back into the boat, I often wonder what that walk back must have been like as he looked at his Savior. But I'll tell you this, he will never forget the touch of his hand on his hand. I believe Peter took that encounter when he died on the cross for Jesus years later. The story is not just an example to strengthen your faith, but a Savior to trust. I want to be where Jesus is and Jesus hangs out in the deep end of the water. I want to be a church and I want to be a people that are willing to take the message to the nations because if we don't, then hear me out. If 11 men, after experiencing the feeding of the 5,000, weren't willing to take a step of faith the next day, then how will we ever reach a world that's looking for a savior to pull them out of a hole? North America, by the way, is the only country on earth where Christianity is declining. Why, you might say? Well, I would say it's because of this. We like it here. It's safe, comfortable. We're familiar. It fits our legs and feet. We don't have to be concerned with our lives. And all the while, as we sit here and refuse to share the gospel, the world goes to hell. And we watch them in front of us. I wonder what would happen if we truly got out of the boat. You see, we don't need another message from Pastor Jim. 
We need people who will share the message. There's a story that's told that's so applicable that John Ortberg shares in this book. And he shares this story of a traveling pastor encountering a salesman on an airplane on his way back. Listen to this story. Jeffrey Cotter tells about one time an unforgettable plane ride when he took the risk. As a pastor returning from a job interview and dressed in blue jeans, he found himself sitting next to a pinstripe-wearing, attache-carrying, Wall Street Journal-reading businessman. Cotter's initial impulse was to avoid all conversation, especially about jobs. But when Mr. MBA greeted him, that option was lost. The man worked in what he called the figure salon business. He spoke of how they could change a woman's self-concept by changing her body. He talked of his excitement about the power and significance of what he had. Cotter was struck by the man's pride in his work and accomplishments. He wondered why Christians are not more like that. Why we are so often apologetic about our faith. He realized he had been in avoidance mode during the whole flight because of fear. Looking skeptically at Cotter's clothing, Mr. MBA asked about his line of work. Let Cotter tell it from here. This is Cotter telling the story. The spirit began to brood over the face of the deep. Order and power emerged from chaos. A voice and a whisper reminded me, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. It's interesting that we have similar business interests. The pastor spoke. You are in the body changing business. I'm in the personality changing business. We apply basic theocratic principles to accomplish indigenous personality modification. He was hooked, but I knew he would never admit it. Pride is powerful. You know, I've heard of that, he replied hesitantly. But do you have an office here in the city? Oh, we have many offices. We have offices up and down in state. In fact, we're national. And we have at least one office in every state of the union, including Alaska and Hawaii. Had this puzzled look on his face. He had this puzzled look on his face. He was searching his mind to identify this huge company he must have read or heard about, perhaps in Wall Street Journal. As a matter of fact, we've gone international. And management has a plan to put at least one office in every country of the world by the end of this business era. I pause. Do you have that in your business? Well, no, not yet, he answered. But you mentioned management. How do they make it work? Well, it's a family concern. There's a father and a son, and they run everything. It must take a lot of capital, he asked skeptically. You mean money, I ask? Yes, I suppose so. No one knows just how much it takes, but we never worry because there's never a shortage. The boss always seems to have enough. He's a very creative guy, and the money is, well, just there. In fact, those of us on the inside of the organization have a saying about our boss. He owns the cattle on the thousand hills. Oh, he's into ranching too, asked my captive friend. No, it's just the saying we use to indicate his wealth. My friend sat back in his seat. What about you? What about with you, he asked. 
The employees, there's something to see, I said. They have a spirit that pervades the organization. It works like this. The father and the son love each other so much that the love filters down through the organization so that we all find ourselves loving one another too. I know this sounds old-fashioned in a world like ours, but I have people in the organization who are willing to die for me. Do you have that in your business? I was almost shouting now. People were starting to shift noticeably in their seats on the plane. Not yet, he said, quickly changing strategies. He asked, but do you have good benefits? Well, yeah, they're substantial, I countered with a gleam. I have complete life insurance, fire insurance, and all the basics. You might not believe this, but it's true. I have holdings in a mansion that's being built for me right now for my retirement. Do you have that in your business? Not yet, he answered wistfully. The light was dawning. You know one thing bothers me. I've read journals, and if your business is all that you say it is, why haven't I heard it before now? That's a good question, I said. After all, we have a 2,000-year-old tradition. Do you want to sign up? We became more than casual strangers during those last five minutes. Grace community, we have all we need in Jesus Christ. Our God is the God of the impossible. How many more times do you need to hear a message? What will it take for you to get out of the boat and tell the world how good it really is to know Jesus? If we don't, then your friends and my friends will go to hell. Oh God, send us to the deep, God. I pray when you come passing by this week, I pray when you call us out to a place we've never been, that we will jump out of the boat. And we will experience a God who is faithful to deliver us. Thank you, God, for the way you sent your son, Jesus. Thank you that we can do the impossible because you are the possible God. In Jesus' name, amen.